Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. I'm Brenda Yescas. And tonight's program honors the memory of Archbishop Oscar Romero of El Salvador, assassinated by right-wing forces while delivering mass and championing the cause of the poor and oppressed. Tonight, we also have interviews with Jan Sussler, lawyer of political prisoner Oscar Lopez Rivera, our very own Nina Serrano on her thoughts of her new novel, Nicaragua Way, and an interview with Guatemalan singer and songwriter, Gabi Moreno, plus the calendar of events. Stay tuned y no te lo pierdas. V interviews Oscar Lopez Rivera's lawyer, John Sussler, on an update since he was released from prison. He was one of the longest-held political prisoners in U.S. history. He was held for 35 years, 12 of those in solitary confinement. So I have Oscar's lawyer, Jan Sussler. She's live on the phone from Puerto Rico. Hello. So good to be with you. You know, I'm just so curious. We've just got to get right into it. How is Oscar doing? What were his first day, night, 24 hours? How's it been? Oh, my gosh. It's just it's just been a whirlwind. It's been so marvelous. I mean, you know, he he's done, he did like, 35 and a half years in, in U.S. prison for his commitment to the independence of Puerto Rico. And um, really, uh, on the 17th of, of January, like, you know, three days before the inauguration of, oh, I don't even want to say his name, right. um, uh, he granted commutation of Oscar's ridiculously disproportionate and unjust sentence and said that he was eligible for release on May 17th. And so we were very hopeful. Um, we were we were very hopeful all along, but when the announcement came, you know, we were ecstatic. Yeah. We, were, we were just ecstatic. And then, of course, I had to get in gear to say, well, now that his sentence has been commuted, why don't you let him come to Puerto Rico? That's his home. It's his homeland. It's where he wants to make his life. And uh, let's let's start that happening. And the Bureau of Prisons decided, kind of last minute-ish, hmm. that they were going to let him come to Puerto Rico. He's not completely free yet. He's still in their custody. Okay. Uh, but he is on home confinement and living in his daughter's apartment and thrilled. I mean, it's just he's he's at home. He's at home, and he'll be able to be really completely off of custody on May seventeenth at eight in the morning. We already know what time, um, and then the celebrations will begin. Right now, his contact with the public is very limited um, because he's he's not going out except for very limited purposes like medical appointments, but. He's thrilled. His daughter is cooking for him. He's thinking about his political future. He's having conversations with people, um, getting a flavor for what's going on right now. Of course, he's always been very up to 
up to snuff, you know, keeping up with current events. But, you know, it's one thing to be locked up in prison and read a newspaper. It's another thing to be in the country and having conversations with people who are who are living here and who are experiencing the, this historical moment. Uh, we can talk about that a bit later. But he's in the swim as much as you can be under home confinement and thrilled. And I know that he spent 12 years in solitary confinement. So how is his health? How is his physical health and his mental health after all well, these years in federal prison? I will say this. Um, he's 74 years old. He is probably more fit than any youngster I've ever met. Wow. He can probably do more push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups than any 25-year-old on the street. He has been very, very careful about taking care of himself. Because he knew his jailers weren't going to take care of him. Mm. So he's a vegetarian. He, as much as you can be on a Bureau of Prisons diet, which doesn't afford you many fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables, but he took very, very good care of himself with a regular exercise regime. He's incredibly disciplined. And in terms of his mental health and his political integrity, uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody as healthy as he is in those respects as well. When he was in isolation, he was in uh, the, the control unit at Marion Federal Prison in southern Illinois, and he was at ADX Florence, which is the super maximum security prison that opened in 1992. He was one of the first people to be sent there, and he spent two years there. The rest of his isolation was at Marion. Um, he really learned how to be at peace with himself and to embrace his really solitude not and and treat it not as isolation as much as being given the opportunity to get to know himself better to be at peace with himself um in a way that many people cannot because as we all know solitary confinement is torture it is and and it does cause lasting harm and often causes mental illness but really oscar very clear about who he is in the world and what he means to the Puerto Rican people and the, the amount of love and support that he received, he and his co-defendants, you know, throughout the years, has really made all the difference. And he really has been able to survive that torturous experience very much intact, his mental health intact, his his sanity intact, his political integrity intact, and his sense of humor intact. It's it's really very, very impressive. It sounds amazing and I'm it's so good to hear that. I mean I get chills thinking about that he's been able to sort of beat the system there. I know that when I was practicing criminal defense more actively that I felt solitary confinement was something that either broke you or made you an actualized enlightened person. It either, you, you know, know, messed yeah. you mentally or it made you amazing. I had a client at Marion who who I think synthesized it so beautifully. He said you know, it's like they, they throw you in there and you're a piece of coal and you can either turn to dust or to diamond. Right. And Oscar is a diamond. Yes, he's a diamond of Puerto Rico. And is he painting? What's he doing on his leisure time? Is he able to read or just enjoy his freedom? Well, I think right now we're he's still kind of getting used to the idea of being out. He still he maintains his discipline in terms of his exercise regime with his pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups and stretching and, and all of that. 
really the conversations are occupying a huge amount of time in meetings about what what does he anticipate after May 17th? How does he want his life to look? And let me tell you this, invitations have been pouring in from all over the world. Obviously, he wants to thank everyone who, who has been so generous with their solidarity. And he's been invited to different countries. He's been invited to the city of New York. He's been invited to Philadelphia, to Chicago, obviously, where, his, where he uh, grew up after the age of 14. Um, He's officially invited to KPFA in the Bay Area anytime. <laughs> Thank you. Open door. Thank you. And, and actually, he may be making a trip to California. And, um, you know, I mean, he's been invited to, for example, to give the what they call the Lección Magistral at the U University of Puerto Rico in Rio Piedras, which is like the sort of the large assembly of all the students and faculty that launches the academic year. Um, that's an honor to be invited to, to give that. And the Colegio de Abogados, which is the Bar Association of Puerto Rico, wants him to come and speak at their assembly. The National Lawyers Guild has invited him to the 80th anniversary uh, convention that's in Washington, D.C. in August uh, to receive an award. He's, he's going to be conferred the Arthur Canoy Award. I mean... The, the invitations are abundant and so wonderful that people are embracing him and, and really want to welcome him home. Yes. And you mentioned the historical moment that you were referencing to. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I don't know how much your listeners know about what's happening in Puerto Rico, but, you know, Puerto Rico is a colony of the United States and has been since 1898. And there's been... Very much um, the, the sort of the contradictions in Puerto Rico are not like in the U.S. where, you know, it's, are you a Republican or a Democrat or are you for Bernie kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Here, it's really more about what do you think the future of Puerto Rico should be? Should it be a state? Should it continue as a commonwealth or should it be an independent country? And the U.S. government has very recently clarified that should it continue to be a commonwealth is no longer an option because the Supreme Court in two decisions and the legislation called PROMESA, which is a very cynically titled legislation, which in English means the promise, it has imposed a fiscal control board over Puerto Rico. And there's no question now from the United States perspective and from the way people understand it here that it's a colony. And so there's a couple of things happening right now. There's just a new election here. A pro-statehood governor was elected and a mm -hmm. pro-statehood resident commissioner. They are pushing statehood. Uh, Luis Gutierrez, the congressman from Illinois, just introduced a, a pro-independence or pro-free associated state bill. Um, on June 11th, there's going to be a so-called plebiscite here in Puerto Rico. But really, one of the main things that's happening here is the imposition of this fiscal control board, which, which is, I mean, many people will think of, okay, this is like in Detroit, where the democratically elected city government totally had the rug pulled out from under them by the state, and the state imposed uh, a board that was really took over the administration of the city. Well, that's what's happening here with the country. It's really taken over all of the major institutions, including universities. And the purpose of it is not to improve the economy of Puerto Rico. Not. 
The purpose of it is to make sure that the bondholders who bought very cheap and very sleazy bonds get paid back at even a higher rate than what they purchased the bonds for at the cost of the Puerto Rican people. It's a horrible situation where the public pensions are, are running out of funds because the government has to pay bondholders instead of pay people who slaved their entire lives and expected to be able to live on a pension. It's just, it's a nightmare. And there's a, there's a huge resistance to it. And so that, in addition to many really wonderful environmental struggles that are happening here against things like dumping coal ash uh, in the city of Penuelas and, and trying to protect the coastlines and, I mean, lots of wonderful environmental struggles happening here. So here comes Oscar in the middle of all of that. And people really revere him here in a way that it's kind of jaw-dropping. Um, and in a way, people are very hopeful that he'll be able to insert himself in a way that continues the unity that that was built around the struggle for his release. Because as I said, you know, there's these different preferences for the status of, of Puerto Rico for its future. Most of the time people don't agree about much, much of anything, but around his release, the entire country was united. And so I think people are very hopeful that the unity that was built around the injustice of his ongoing imprisonment is something that can now flow over, now that he's out, to help sort of repair and heal Puerto Rico. There's a lot of hope here that's resting on his shoulders. Yeah, that's a very beautiful way to put it, to think about how he's seen as sort of the Nelson Mandela of Puerto Rico. And there were so many people from the president, former president of Uruguay, Desmond Tutu, just internationally and across all kinds of political spectrums were on board with him being released. So it's going to be exciting to see actually what happens now that on May 17th, he's officially free. And yeah. it's great to hear that he's doing yeah. well in home confinement. So um, tell us, what can people do here in the diaspora to support him? I really that you know he's got no pension or social security i mean how can we how can we do things for him what's a website or a phone number or how do we support him either financially or sent or get in touch with him well that's so wonderful but you know we're, we're just in the process of establishing a bank account for him but you're obviously right he came out and he didn't have as they say a pot to piss in you know he didn't have underwear he didn't have a toothbrush he did you know fortunately he's so beloved that people have been completely generous i mean you wouldn't believe the quantity of homegrown uh local food that people have have brought to his daughter it's just the outpouring is so beautiful but we are going to be doing a, f a fundraising effort because the bureau of prisons pension is not very generous mm -hmm. <laughs> there is no such thing exactly and, and uh you know he's been offered a job but i think he's not going to have time to work because he, what he really wants to do is to thank people. And let me just put it this way. He sees this, and I agree completely, that this is really a victory on the part of Puerto Rican people and people who love justice all over the world. And, well, well let me put it this way. It's clear that when people work together, they can accomplish a lot. And but getting him out of prison after 35 and a half years was a huge accomplishment. And it really shows what our power is and what our strength is. And so obviously that's something that people would want to 
continue. Yeah. Um, what I will have to do as we get our fundraising plan together is let you know, and then hopefully you'll be able to announce it. Um, but yes, and uh, unfortunately, I would offer to have you interview him, but um, one of the conditions of his home confinement is that we wait until May 17th for him to be uh, making public statements. So maybe after that. Oh, for sure. I mean, he has a home here. I can speak freely for everyone in KPFA that he has a place here in Asa Chronicles, and uh, there's lots of places where he is going to be very welcome. So I want to thank you so much, Jan Sussler, Oscar Lopez's attorney, for taking the time all the way from Puerto Rico to talk to us. Thank I hope you, you can Wilma. give him a big Bay Area abrazo. Oh, I will. That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for all your support over the years. Of course. Thank you. And I, I speak oh. for a lot of people who would say the exact same thing. He has a home in the Bay Area, no doubt. So all thank right. you so much. You're so welcome. Take care. Thank you, Vilma, for the great interview. Oscar Lopez Rivera will be doing a tour of the U.S., He will be in the Bay Area on Wednesday, May 31st at St. John's Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. Stay tuned to La Raza Chronicles for more updates. Nina Serrano, La Raza Chronicles co-producer and prize-winning author, has written a historical novel, Nicaragua Way, about the Central American solidarity movements of the 1980s to inspire people today to action for social change and to reflect on the effects of the twists and turns of history on our individual lives. These are her thoughts of her novel, Nicaragua Way, its themes and its characters. In a lot of my writing, there's the memories that I would have of places I had never seen as a child, but just heard about these faraway places that I didn't know what they looked like. And so as the stories of incidents that had happened there, just the smallest incidents, I would picture them like a movie in my mind. And so then I was always looking for the real thing and always trying to also capture this imagined thing. And that often comes up in my poems and definitely in Nicaragua Way because the whole time the protagonist, Lorna, is trying to capture the stories that her grandfather told her when she was a little girl and the songs that he sang, and and the heroes that he mentioned. Like, I still remember my father telling me that Bolivar was a very great man and how his father took him to a statue of Bolivar and showed it to him. And so in my novel, Lorna remembers the songs and the portrait of Sandino that her grandfather had showed her and sung to her and told her about. So when these Sandinistas came along, it was something very soulful, deep in her emotional life and very easy and very attractive to become part of. The main thing that runs throughout the book and that I think runs throughout American life, and that's for citizen and non-citizen, that everybody shares a certain guilt, whether it's spoken or unspoken, of living in a country that's constantly at war and that brings all these riches and opportunities to us through the suffering of others in other places. And 
it's not always easy to live with that. Because of U.S. imperialism, they're forced and squeezed out of their own country, either for economic reasons, because there's no work or opportunity in their country, or because of actual aggression and repression. This is a nation of immigrants, and there are new immigrants coming every day, and so many here in California coming from Latin America and experiencing the switch at schools from Spanish to English and experiencing the dual loyalties and affections for other places and still being part of the here and now where they are in the United States. So imperialism and the anti-imperialist movement and an anti-imperialist viewpoint is something that many people in the Latino community are almost born into because of these dualities and maybe because of this international understanding of the world. So that it's almost there from birth and it's certainly there in many minds of people who are recent immigrants that the Latino community really understands what that is because it's so part of everyone's present and past in terms of their families and family stories of whatever sufferings they had. Well, one of the things I tried to do in the book was address the current situation we find ourselves in, which is that we're in a, what's called a globalized society and that we're totally aware of how interconnected everything in life is and everything in politics is and certainly in international affairs. And so by concentrating on the solidarity movement, a social change agent, and giving details of what the Friends of Nicaraguan culture did as a U.S. solidarity group with Latin America, I tried to lay out some of the many ways and paths to organizing and to persisting. And in this case, there was the time of triumphing. But freedom is a constant struggle. Change is a constant struggle. So just because you win, you have it won. There are things that happen at the beginning of the book. The beginning of the book, there's reference to Spain. Lorna has just returned from Spain where she's worked in the solidarity movement, uh, but solidarity with Chile, where there had just been a coup, and she was doing human rights work with the refugees there in Spain. It's through Lorna's involvement in the social change movement that things happen in her life, that throughout everything that's happening in her life, she writes poems through all the interaction and creating a movement, being involved in the creation of things, relationships, groups, people, movements, adds to her own creative life and is is also part of her pathways to romance. She runs into them out there at those meetings, at those pickets, at, at those conferences. I was very concerned with showing aging, that this is a story of an older woman. The story starts, she's already over 40. 
and she has to go through all of those phases of life. So it takes 14 years for her to go through emptiness, blues, and, and that comes in stages because first her daughter just goes off to college, and then menopause, and various things that are happening as we get older. Well, for every parent, there's the emptiness, blues that happens in life. There, there comes the time that after nurturing and hovering and worrying and dedicating and turning into a doormat for this other life, it comes to an end. And it's, it's very frightening because then there is this huge void in your life, plus what will happen to this poor little fledgling that's out in this big, hard, cruel world? But every parent has to just have faith that that child is going to make it into adulthood, and that's actually the measure of success, is that you've raised someone who became an adult and went on their own way. Because I wasn't just writing about Nicaragua. It was bigger than that. And I named the book Nicaragua Way because I was referring back to Proust's novel about memory, Swan's Way, which is all about remembering other times. And so this book is about memory, both the protagonist's memory that leads her into her present activities and also my own memory that I was documenting and parts of my own journey, though I took great liberties with my journey and included the journeys of my friends and family into the characters. Family is a very important link in most people's lives. Culture is transmitted through family. Feeling connected is also transmitted through family, and staying connected through family increases a person's sense of security in the world, like feeling that you have the right to a place in your planet. That's, that's the main thing I think that people need, is to feel that they have every right to their spot on the planet. Wherever that spot is, wherever they go, they have that right, and they have the right to think freely, and they have the right to speak out, and they have the right to be nourished and receive health care. All of these things that in the novel a, a whole nation was struggling for and that my protagonist joins in that struggle. I felt like that was a moment in history worth chronicling, that people of two countries came together and people of the world were attracted to the Nicaraguan Revolution and participated in it because we did think another world was possible and we saw people creating that possibility right before our eyes under very, very difficult, difficult circumstances, threatened by U.S. Army and Navy constantly. You just heard Nina Serrano speaking about her highly praised novel, Nicaragua Way, a historical social change story set in San Francisco and Nicaragua in the 1970s and 80s. She will be having a book release party for this book on Saturday, April 8th at Book Passages Bookstore in Sausalito. 
And now we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to go see Los Angeles-based Afro-Mexicano band Las Cafeteras for their show on April 8th at the Social Hall in San Francisco. The Social Hall is located at 1270 Sutter Street. If you would like to win these tickets to go see Las Cafeteras, be caller number 3 and call us at 510-848-4425. We'll be playing a track off of their new album release called Tastes Like L.A., the track is called If I Were President. Once again, call 510-848-4425 and be caller number three to win these tickets. Señor Presidente, le vengo a avisar, no tengo papeles para trabajar. Señor Presidente, pregunto por qué matan al moreno con piel. Si fuera presidente to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas, and I'm so excited y orgullosa to have Grammy Award-winning artist Gabi Moreno on the show with me today. She's joining us by phone from Puerto Rico, where she's currently on tour. Bienvenida, Gabi! Gracias, gracias. So you're currently on tour right now. How's it going so far? 
It's going great. I came here to Puerto Rico to do some promotion for my second single, which is called Estaré. And I'm just here hanging out in El Viejo San Juan, which is a gorgeous part of town, very, I mean, very close to the ocean. And, you know, just, just here to also play a, a show, which will be my first show in Puerto Rico. So I'm very excited. I just wanted to say I love your sound and I love your voice. Um, song, some songs I feel like I could imagine you playing in like an old speakeasy in the 1930s and definitely bluesy and jazzy. For someone that has never heard your music, how would you describe it? Pues mira, siempre me, me cuesta un poquito, but um, I probably would say it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of all my musical influences. Me gusta mucho el blues, el jazz, el folk, el soul. So it's a little bit of all of that. All in a melting pot. <laughs> so who are your musical influences growing up? Well, I, I mean, I, I began listening to a lot of classical music. That's, that's kind of how I began singing classical. And then I got into Disney, the world of Disney, and I would sing Disney songs. <laughs> and then later I discovered uh, blues and jazz. So I, it's, it's so many different artists. I mean... I could name you a couple, like Ella Fitzgerald and Aretha Franklin, but it's much, much bigger than that. You've recently released your fifth album called Illusion. Tell our listeners what is different from this album than your previous releases. Um, this album uh, is different because we recorded it all with analog equipment. We didn't use any computers. Basically went in the studio with my five uh, musicians and just decided to, you know, record something that would sound as close as possible to a live uh, sound, and that's what we we're going for. Yeah, I also listened to a lot of the album, and I think it's very more funk and bluegrass. There's even some bluegrass in there. Yeah, I listen to a lot of bluegrass music, and that definitely comes through in, in record. Um, that's one of the biggest influences. I think that's a, that's a different sound too something that um, I wanted to discover more or, or absorb more, you know, that, that kind of music. Being a singer-songwriter, what inspires you when you're writing songs? A lot of different things, but I would say, you know, just experiences, either personal or experiences around me. Just, you know, it could be anything, really. I don't have one source of inspiration. It's just, it can come literally from anywhere, from anyone um, as long as I can sit down and, and be able to tell a story, whether it's my story or someone else's story or someone, something that's entirely made up, as it comes from, you know, honest feelings and emotions, I think that's what counts. In concert, which songs do you like to play the most? I like to play, I have a song called Alec Amiga, which I love because it's my, my little anthem that sort of tells my story of how I, I came to the United States from Guatemala and you know it's a, it's a song that I feel like a lot of a lot of what the Guatemalans just feel very represented in a way with that song a lot of Guatemalans that live in the U.S. but it's really dedicated to all immigrants who are hard workers who are honest people and who are basically you know following their Uno, dreams dos,
estar corriendo en tiempo de cacería al suelo alto mi album Ilusión. What is your favorite song on the album? I would say there's a song called Oh Me that I really love and there's another song called Illusion which you know is the, is the title track. So yeah I think those two are, are definitely a couple of my favorites. And then when I was reading about what you do and like the, being a songwriter I found out that you did the intro to Parks and Rec. Is that true? Yeah yeah I co-wrote that theme song and It was the first time that I had ever done anything for TV, so I was very excited when, when I heard that they chose uh, this little ditty that I submitted. I mean, it was just 30-second instrumental song. I had never done anything like that, so that was pretty thrilling. You've also done songs for Disney as well, right? I sing the, the theme song for Elena of Avalor, which is the first Latina the Disney princess. They, they're still showing it. It's, um, the first, I think it's on its first season, and the, they picked it up for a second season. Speaking of Guatemala, you're from Guate. What, what part of Guatemala were you born in? I was born in the city, in the capital, Guatemala City. And what do you miss about it? Oh, well, just about everything. <laughs> um, first of all, my, my whole family is there, so that's, that's one of the biggest things I miss. I also miss the food i miss the you know los paisajes like seeing the beautiful volcanoes and and the mountains and you know so much green i definitely miss that aspect i, I think also i like about you is that you also bring like a positive light to guatemala too because a lot of people only think about the politics and the bad things but i also think that you bring out like something that you know it's positive about guatemala the music you know Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, just one one person out of millions uh, in Guate who are, you know, trying to make a difference. Um, in my case, it's for music. I'm just trying to bring hope and, you know, and joy and love and trying to spread just a, a good, positive image about my country. Um, but just like me, there's thousands of others who are also doing wonderful things for our country. My parents are from Guatemala, too, and when I told them that I was interviewing you, they were so excited. They wanted me to ask you, 
Pregúntale, how did it feel to win a Latin Grammy y poner en alto la mujer luchadora de Chapinlandia? Oh, that is so sweet. Well, the Latin Grammy was surreal. You know, it's something that I that I had been dreaming for a very long time. I feel like, you know, anytime an artist wins a recognition of that level, it feels like it's, it feels like the pinnacle, you know, of, of the career. Uh, and it doesn't mean that, you know, that's where it ends. I feel like it kind of keeps you motivated. It keeps you want to stay on track and keep making music because someone out there is listening. Someone out there is noticing. And, and that's a beautiful thing. So that's with the Latin Grammy. And then with La Mujer Luchadora, <laughs> um, you know, I get that from my mother, actually. She is an incredibly strong woman that I look up to, and I am so inspired by her. Uh, I have a lot of, like, very powerful female uh, figures in my life, <laughs> my sisters as well. Like, I love them dearly. They're incredible. They're so independent. They're so, they're very, they just inspire me. I think that that shows off, and, and I just try to do that and, and reflect that with my music. So your mentor of sorts has also been another great singer-songwriter from Guatemala, Ricardo Arjona. Mm -hmm. And you played a duet with him, Fuiste Tu, which is like a number one hit all over the world pretty much. Any future plans to record another duet with him? No, no, no plans right now. Just, um, that was it. <laughs> it was a one-time thing. And how did you guys connect originally? He heard my music because his you know his family was his family lives in Guatemala like his sisters and and uh, they had heard some of my songs and my music from you know two previous albums that I released independently and I was going to Guatemala to, to do shows so he heard about me and then he just uh, one day out of the out of the blue he just called me up and said hey I really love what you're doing <laughs> and um and he asked me to to sing the song with him so one of the first songs I think I've ever heard from you was Ave que emigra, and you said that originally. Oh, cool, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, which means migrating bird. Some of the songs that, that you write have had a pro-immigrant message. What do you think about the current situación inmigratoria and what's going on with um, the immigration status here in the U.S.? What do you think about that? Well, it's, it's quite upsetting, you know. It's, it's something that I wish could be different. I wish, like, all these families were thriving and were, you know, living their dreams. And, and really, that's, that's why they, they came to that country, right, to fulfill all of their dreams. But families are being torn apart, and that is just incredibly sad. And, uh, and it just makes me feel helpless, and I, you know, I wish I could do more. So for now, my most powerful weapon is music, and, and all I want to do is... Um, spread a message of, of hope and just tell people, you know, to, to hang in there and, and tell them that I'm, I'm with them, you know. That's, I think that's what's important nowadays, that we all have to stick together. Yeah, and I, I definitely think you should continue doing your music because, like you said, I think you, you bring hope to a lot of people through your music. So I, I definitely I think that you should continue on doing what you're doing. Thanks. Where can our listeners find out more about your music? You can go online and go to either iTunes or Amazon, or if you don't want to buy an album, you can stream it on Spotify, I guess. <laughs> but um, I have uh, five albums out, 
the latest one is called Illusion. That's the one that I'm promoting at the moment. And I'm really excited that you're playing a show here in the Bay Area in Oakland this Thursday. Is this your first show in the Bay Area? No, it, um, I've played in San Francisco before. It'll be my first time playing in Oakland and my first time playing in Mill Valley. I'm very excited about that. We want to play a song from your new album. Can you tell me a little bit about the track we're going to listen to? Sure. All right, this song is called Fronteras, and it's a song that I wrote specifically about Latin American people living in the U.S. Uh, just as an observation of how we are stuck between two cultures, but we're perfectly fine with it. You know, we're, as Latin people, we are lively and we're passionate and we're colorful, and, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that's something that we should embrace. So this is my little song uh, dedicated to all those beautiful Latin people living in the U.S. camino que nos trajo hasta aquí no conoce las fronteras esta pasión dentro de mí es anhelo el que me empuja cada nuevo amanecer con mis temores ilusiones y los restos de Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Eres un orgullo nacional de Guatemala y felicitaciones por tu exitosa carrera. Thank you so much for 
the space and um, can't wait to, to come to the Bay Area and play there. It's going to be really fun. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. And this is the calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. For Thursday, March 30th, join Guatemalan singer and songwriter Gabi Moreno and local Bay Area singer and songwriter Diana Gameros for a night of blues, jazz, and world music at the New Parish, 1743 San Pablo Avenue in Oakland. Starts at 9 p.m. The show is wheelchair accessible. For more information and tickets, go to thenewparish.com. For March 30th through April 7th, the 13th annual Cuba Caribe Festival of Dance and Music is nine days of Caribbean dance and music performances, seven world premiere performances, master classes, film screenings, lectures, and celebrations at two different San Francisco venues, the Brava Theater and Museum of African Diaspora. The Cuba Caribe Festival has been highly acclaimed for being the only festival to present popular, contemporary, and folkloric cultural expression, religion, history, and politics of the Afro-Caribbean diaspora. For a full program of shows and events, go to their website, cubacaribe.org. For Saturday, April 1st, Words of Resistance, a literary event featuring widely acclaimed American writers of Latino origins. In the U.S. climate of heightened anti-Latino fervor, these poets and storytellers offer their tales of knowledge, unity, and visibility at the Berkeley Public Library Community Room. 2090 Kittredge Street in Berkeley starts at 4 p.m. For more information, go to somosenescrito.com. For Friday, April 7th, join local Bay Area groups La Gente and Soltron, which you're hearing in the background at the moment, for a night of Afro-Latino reggae, cumbia, and hip-hop music at the Elbow Room, 647 Valencia Street in San Francisco starts at 9 p.m. For more information, go to elbo.com. And for Saturday, April 8th, join our very own Nina Serrano at her book release party of Nicaragua Way, a multi-dimensional novel of romance with a heavy focus on politics, women's rights, and the fight for human rights and democracy. It will be a family-friendly event with a Central American ambiance. Light refreshments will be served book signing, and Nicaraguan music by singer and composer Nicole Alena Landau. The book release will be held at The Book Passage, 100 Bay Street in Sausalito. Starts at 4 p.m. For more information, go to Nina's website, ninaserrano.com. That's Nina, S-E-R-R-A-N-O.com. And this has been a calendar of events and happenings for the Bay Area. If you would like to add your event to our calendar, email us at larasachronicles at kpfa.org. And for more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash larasachronicles. Y a todos los rumberos por mantener la cosa buena. ¡Hue! 
ya tú sabes cómo listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you would like to get involved with our collective or have stories you think we should cover, you can email us at larazachronicles at kpfa.org. And if you enjoyed this program, you can listen to it again in our archives on soundcloud.com slash Chronicles. Feliz noches a todos y gracias por estar con nosotros.